Hello and welcome everybody to this week's Dev Central Connects. My name is Boo, one of your community evangelists on the Dev Central team. Um, I am your host today, and we are going to have a great chat today about home labs and specifically what I would say is the biggest home lab that I have heard of so far. Um, I, I put it into the show description there, but a full 42U rack. And actually, I've seen people study for CCIE before. Um, I used to do a lot of CCI or uh, a lot of Cisco study before, and I've seen big network racks before. However, this is a rack that encompasses a full data center. Uh, so storage, compute, and networking. So I think this will be really cool to dive into here. Uh, before we do that, just a couple of reminders. I wanted to let everybody know that this month is Microservices March. So I'm wearing my um, Nginx uh, nice Golden Gate uh, shirt today just to uh, signify that it's the last week of Microservices March. And what we've been doing for that is that Jason has been doing the weekly labs for Microservices March on Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific. I actually stepped in last week because Jason was out last week or last Thursday. So I stepped in and did the one last uh, Thursday. Uh, but this week is the last week of it. So be sure to check that out if you want to see Jason run through the lab. If you go to, over to nginx.com slash mm, you'll be able to sign up and do the labs yourselves. Um, it's all free and it's all ne not necessarily stuff that's specific to Nginx. It's like the whole ecosystem around microservices. So you learn a lot doing it. Um, you know, even the stuff that I was doing on Thursday was really interesting. Even though if you if you watch back, we're doing it live. Like I didn't actually get through the entire lab uh, in that one hour there. I crashed and burned along the way having uh, some issues that I created for myself. But uh, yeah, it is fun to see people do that kind of stuff live. So, you know, if you get an opportunity, check out Jason doing it live or otherwise sign up for the labs yourself. A couple other things that I'll remind everybody, Dev Central Connects is supported by community.f5.com. This is uh, F5's technical user community. Totally free to sign up. I would encourage you to go sign up for it, actually, because you'll see lots of interesting stuff on there, whether it is questions and answers around F5 technologies, general technology discussions on there, the Dev Central Connects folks, you know, myself, Jason, Aubrey, Peter, we're all hanging out in the Dev Central Connects group hub on there as well. You definitely have to sign up for that one because you actually have to enter the group with your login. And then we post all the notes from the shows on there as well. So for this uh, show today, we'll actually post some notes and how to find James and uh, how to get in contact with him and his website and whatnot will be posted on there as well. So be sure to check out community.f5.com. Also, a couple other things. We are streaming live right now to YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So whatever platform you're watching from right now, make sure you hit like, make sure you hit subscribe. You might be listening to this via audio podcast right now as well. And if you're not, be sure to check us out on there. So that will be Apple, Google, and Spotify. Make sure you subscribe, leave a five-star review if you can. That totally helps us out if you are able to do that. So having said all that, I'm going to bring on our guest today, Mr. James Cox. James, how are you doing? Hey. It's good to meet you. Uh, I'm doing great. It's a uh, it's a great uh, great middle of the week. Yeah, fantastic. I was wondering if you wanted to go with James Corden, uh, but you went with John Oliver for that. What uh, I was thinking, the accent and whatnot. Yes, John Oliver's got the better accent. I, I think uh, you know the James Corden thing is too uh, too obvious. You need to mix yeah. it up a little bit and kind of come up with something a bit more a bit more fun. Yeah, fair enough. For those who are listening right now, there's a virtual background for James that says "Last Week Tonight" with John Oliver, but his John Oliver is crossed out and says James Cox. All the ways you could, all the ways that we needed to do to survive during COVID, right? And just come up with <laughs> a fun background. 
So we're going to talk about home labs today. We got connected through our uh, mutual friend, Dan Moore, uh, actually, and we had a chat and you, you mentioned you have this crazy lab. And so I want to dig into that. Labs are an important part of DevCentral. A lot of people that are part of DevCentral are doing their own testing and they might not be part of like a, a large enterprise, which would host a lab for them and they have gear just laying around or they have cloud accounts that are almost virtually limitless, or at least they don't see the bill for it every month. A lot of us who are you know, myself included, we got a little something at home so that we can do our own testing and not have to worry about other people unplugging our stuff. And, and it's for ours to, to play with. But you have, it sounds like the craziest lab that I have encountered so far. So maybe you can give us a little bit of a rundown of yourself and your lab. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been in doing engineering development for 20 odd years now across lots of different disciplines. I mean, I've been software engineering, software leadership, DevOps, uh, and, you know, systems and everything else. Like I think most of us, you know, I started out as a kid. Uh, one of the first jobs I had was uh, building a computer for a neighbor, right? You know, they pay you a little bit of, you know, pocket money cash for for some help. And back in the day then, it was it was fairly easy, right? You just go down to the local computer store or whatever and uh, get the parts that kind of fit the budget and you're good to go. And, you know, a few screws later, then you're, then you're all built in. But I realized that I hadn't done that for at least a decade. Uh, when I started this whole thing out. And I thought that, you know, it was a good time to kind of get back and and refresh those sort of original roots and relearn some of those skills. You know, spoiler alert, uh, it turns out that it's way harder now to build servers and find compatible hardware and make everything kind of fit into your uh, energy budgets and all the other kind of elements that come into home labbing that, that uh, simply weren't around back in the day. Uh, so this has been a journey for me to kind of re-engage with the metal, re-engage with the, the hardware that, that was, you know, all the stuff that we do. After many, many years successfully working for clients and, and, and my own work on platforms like AWS, you, you quickly can forget what goes into actually making these sites exist, right? Uh, and, and so I think it was sort of a real kind of desire to get into that and, and to make that work. I look back now and the numbers it would cost to run what I have now on AWS would, um, would make... <laughs> my accountant cry, my wife cry, myself cry. Uh, I mean, it just doesn't work. So at certain points, the on-prem kind of solution sort of uh, is still uh, the cheaper, cheaper build, even if you have to go a little bit more intense like I have. So did it purely just start from that? Actually, you know, I'm just going to take a little pause here and say hello to some of the folks that are uh, chiming in in the chat. We got Jose Labra. Thanks for uh, saying hello. We got uh, Smart Home Sellout is your handle there. So hello to you and uh, Omer as well. Hello. And then Cisco Sane. Uh, this session is recorded. So you can actually, as soon as it's done, it's actually available again. So if you're you're watching from YouTube right now, so you can actually just watch the replay immediately with the same link. Um, so question for you, James, I guess, how did, what was the first piece of equipment that you started off with and, and how did you how did you go from there? Yeah, when I first started sort of exploring uh, very early on, it was, you know, an external hard drive. And then it was mm. a Drobo because they were the kind of in vogue uh, external storage at the time. And then it was two Drobos. And then that didn't kind of work out. And so then it was digging around some of the uh, online communities. One that I, I'm a big fan of now is Serve the Home and, uh, and JDM, who has been thinking a lot about like, how do you fit server-grade hardware into cases that make sense? So I ended up building that first Frankenstein, you know, massive ATX box. So it's you know, I could fit lots of drives in it uh, because storage was the, the big sort of early focus, really. And then finding the right board and the right memory, the right CPU and all that kind of stuff, fitting that in. Uh, and I ran with that for quite some time uh, and then ended up separating that to a second NAS focus box of just disks. 
Then I moved cross country, moved to the Midwest, where I was fortunate to actually have some space and uh, acquired a rack as opposed to just two uh, tower workstations. Uh, and then from there, I mean, yeah, things kind of exploded, you know, and, mm. and now I run quite a lot more variety of, of stuff as well. Yeah. Uh, which makes it kind of much more interesting. So did you, is this a rack that you purchased new? Maybe we can get into like some of the acquisition logistics of it too. Are you mainly buying new stuff or are you acquiring off of Facebook marketplace, Craigslist, or, you know, buy and sell type stuff? It's yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, for some of the networking, say I've gone with the Unify stack, that's pretty much buying new, mm. uh, where when you, when you can even buy it, it's still pretty hard to get to, but for most of the rack and the rack itself was Craigslist or Facebook marketplace deal. Essentially, if you want one for yourself, it's almost always going to be a, a dozen, if not more, uh, of them available on you know marketplace or something because they're so heavy and so big. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, people would just say, "If you come and get it, it's yours." And as, you know, inside of it, there was a you know a handful of pieces of hardware they just didn't they just didn't bother recycling. But that's the the big interesting thing about hardware uh, and the se- true secret for labbing. Most hardware that you're buying, sort of an enterprise level, would be a Dell, be a HP, uh, Supermicro, or, or others. Generally. G- get sold with a three-year contract, a three-services contract. So basically, speaking about Dell specifically, it generally means that you, in that three-year period, they'll literally come to you either within four hours or next day and replace parts, right? So if you've got a whole bunch of uh, stuff on-prem, you've got a guaranteed backup of all of your stuff, pretty much like next day or better. And so that's really, really helpful. It's really useful, right? Uh, and a lot of people make good use out of that. The problem is, is that once that three years expires, that hardware, which is still perfectly good hardware, is no longer under that warranty. And so now you're more at risk. And so we tend to see this sort of cyclical replacement. It's, it's expanding. Now, people aren't doing it quite so rapidly right now. But we see, you know, a cyclical replacement. And so there are a number of e-cyclers, they call themselves, or e-services, that basically mm-hmm. will, will go to the, you know, these different places. I don't, I don't know where half of them are. They'll buy pallet loads of computer servers, literally hundreds at a, at a time uh, for pennies on the dollar. Uh, they then, you know, check them out, make sure they're all working, make sure all the parts are there, and then resell them through eBay, through, you know, other places to people like me uh, or to small businesses who just want hardware at a, at a discount. Uh, and, you know, you can configure it just as much as you could configure anything else, like literally whatever you want inside of it and, and away you go. So, yeah, mostly all the hardware I've gotten now has come from uh, – I actually have a, a preferred provider in uh, in in, in uh, just outside of uh, the Twin Cities here in Burnsville. Uh, they they sell me super micro stuff, but also about a mile and a half down the road, there's an e-cycler who sells Dell. Uh, so if I ever want any Dell parts for anything, I can literally be there within five minutes, and they have a warehouse that's literally stacked top to bottom with with racks, with uh, cards, with memory, CPU, whatever you want. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, um, it's been a really easy sort of ride to kind of pick up, you know, whatever pieces that you want. Um, in fact, it's too easy because you can start to pick up really esoteric stuff that can be really difficult to fit in, uh, because you know, they they have special requirements, but you know, that's what the fun is. So what does the rack look like now? Like how much compute versus storage versus networking? And you mentioned you have a tape library as well. So we can even mention that. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think it's about a third networking, um, about a third compute, uh, although that's sort of a weird stat because I've sort of started to move towards uh, what we call micro clouds or basically bladed uh, chassis where you can have multiple small chassis uh, inside of multiple small servers inside of one machine, which is fun to talk about in a second. Um, and then the other half is split is storage, half-ish is storage. Uh, including the tape, uh, and then there's a little bit of space there for you know UPS and batteries. Um, I'd say one thing, you know, 
the, the biggest question that you're going to get in a home lab is when everyone sees your lab or you, you describe it is just, you know, I don't want to see your electrical bill. Right. <laughs> and um, I know that in, in some places, especially in Europe right now, uh, the price of electricity is so expensive that, that everyone's downsizing down to Intel nooks or very small, uh, you know, form factor machines just because of the energy issues. I think we're fortunate here in the U.S. that our energy prices have been somewhat um, sheltered. Uh, and so it's, you know, especially if you're on the West Coast where you've got energy basically for free because of the, the you know, the, the, the big uh, dam. Uh, or if you're uh, in the Midwest, it's, it, it's not hard to get reasonably priced energy. Uh, and, so, and, you know, solar is also really helpful for this too, right? And so, uh, you know, it could be very cost effective. Um, and at that point, you know, you can run whatever makes sense for you. Um, but yeah, I've got um, I've got uh, eight U of straight up storage uh, spinning disks, uh, which is pretty heavy to move around. I've had to recruit <laughs> friends sometimes when I have to move that around. Uh, but yeah, my my favorite uh, newest edition was uh, was was the tape library, and uh, of course, uh, some people, a lot of people, don't know what that means. Uh, mm -hmm. Haven't seen that in the in their day to day lives. Um, but uh, back in the day, uh, you, when you wanted to do backups, uh, you would write it to tape, literal tape, um, uh, and something like a cassette tape, but a bit bigger and chunkier and, and more um, more tapey. Uh, and uh, you would, you know, it, they had a fairly reasonable capacity, um, but you know, uh, certainly hard disks are bigger today. Um, but they're fairly reasonable capacity. And the great thing was is that they wouldn't sit on the shelf for thirty years without degradation. Um, and so, you know, they're great for offsite because you can throw them in a box. You can, you know, make sure they're humid, you know, sort of moisture safe uh, and literally just put that wherever you want. And, it, you know, it's perfect. So I've been looking at how I back up my content and I'm, you know, through various archiving and data hoarding, you know, acquisition. I, I've got I'm about 300 gigabytes, sorry, 300 terabytes right now. Um, and so. To, to push that to even glassier, deep storage, I don't ever look at it apart from when I need to pull it out to restore it, is still in the, in the region of about 2,500 a year uh, to make that work. Even even B2 and Batblaze is still about that too. It doesn't work, it doesn't make sense because again, you you know that's a price that just keeps on going every year. Uh, you know, there's there's no upfront and then it, it, it reduces down, it just keeps going. So I, I instead looked into tape. Um, and again, tape is interesting because there have been these different versions of tape over time. Uh, some of the earlier ones, LTO one through four or five, are pretty small and they're, they're fun to play with and the dinky but and cheap, but not necessarily useful. LTO six and above um, is where you start getting into useful tape. Um, if you go into like the more recent ones, LTO eight, uh, you're looking at ten thousand dollars for a drive, and you're looking at you know just loads of money because they're huge. They can back up petabyte size systems, um, uh, but you know you can still get some decent deals in, in that sort of early LTO six range. So I, I did that. Uh, each of my tapes are about 6.25 gigs, uh, sorry, terabytes compressed. Uh, and uh, a library is basically a chassis that has uh, a number of slots for tape on each side with a, basically a machine robot that goes between each different slot and moves the tapes around. And then you have up to four drives in the back that you can actually do the writing, and the reading, uh, and you connect to that through with a direct SAS cable um, or a fiber cable. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of fun. So I, I have a, that connected to a, you know, another one new machine that's my backup host and essentially it's driving the ability to write this storage, uh, to tape. Um, it's going to take, I think two rotations of tape. So 
uh, there's 48 tapes in the library. I'm going to have to write to all of them, pull them out, and then write to all of them again, uh, or to a different set of them. Uh, so it's going to be two sets of 48 tapes to do one whole backup. But then I can have it off-site, and you know, it's at least something. Uh, the the proper labbers and DevOps people in the in the in the in the room will uh, will know that I'm not really following proper backup strategy, but at least that's something. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, that's my big project right now. You touched on power a little bit too. I just wanted to ask a little bit more about that. Um, typically, you know, a, a lot of people when they start off their home lab, they're just using 110 plugging into the wall. You must have, um, you know, you must have routed from your breaker box down in, or wherever you have your um, your lab yeah, to uh, 30 or 50 amp? It's, it's funny. Uh, I did start off with my with 110 as well. And it, it's, it's so easy. It's so easy how quickly you trip that, you know, and so right away, you know, uh, some other thing on, on that circuit will, will just turn off your lab. Um, yeah, that didn't work out well. So I ended up pulling um, a, uh, a 20 amp uh, 110 um volts line direct from the breaker box i did that uh, two years ago that was the first the first line um and um that was that was tricky but it was a great experience got some help uh with a proper electrician to figure out how to do it and some of the you know more dangerous bits but all all, all in you know you just put I mean, I mean it's in the basement it's unfinished so this it's fairly easy to to pull some wire there but essentially it was just you know putting up an outlet and connecting it to the breaker you know pretty much point to point um found but that even in, in itself was getting to be a bit tight uh, and I was uh, running out of um, uh, overhead there. So I, uh, a few months ago, pulled a, uh, a 30 amp, 240 volt uh, line in as well. Uh, so I've now got, um, yeah, quite a bit of uh, amperage running into into under two different EPS. So and then you have to get the PDUs to support that. And, you know, because you're migrating to 240 volt across your whole stack. Yeah, it was it was a journey, um, but it was worth it. Um, and so now it's it's more stable and actually runs more efficiently at two forty volts than it would under one ten. Yeah, that's cool. Nice. Uh, we got a question from the crowd. It's actually a friend of the show, Daniel Wolf. Great to see you. It's been a while. Um, setting aside cost of electricity and the space consumed, what do you use for config management and patch management? This is a great question because you've got a lot of pieces there, and even mm -hmm. expanding upon this. Um, you know, software wise, is it a lot of open source or are you, are you having to buy some of the software? Yeah, I, I did give, uh, Proxmox and, and, and vSphere a look in early on in some of the first, uh, servers, servers I had, because I wanted to see what the, the kind of, uh, the, the whole, whole thing was about uh, what people were recommending it. Uh, I, I think I lasted about two weeks on it. I was not happy with, with that platform and virtualization. It just didn't feel the right way to do things. I'm a Linux guy at heart. You know, I've, I've been you know shelled into servers since i was 15 i'm you know that's it just feels more more native to be to, to be doing that so I, I i you know got rid of all of that uh initially i was kind of just uh you know r-syncing uh config files uh you know rolling out itself installs that kind of thing um but at certain you know especially with this edition of this micro cloud which actually has eight different literally eight eight computers inside of it right uh eight blades um i've had to sort of start thinking more about things like pxc boot uh, so uh, I've been spending a little bit of time uh, on uh, initially starting up a you know, proper PXE server so that my machines could could boot from the network without having to know anything about what it's going to run. Uh, I use Ansible. I've used that for quite some time to manage uh, the configuration, all, all the machines. Uh, and so, again, rolling out these new servers, I've had to you know, beef that up a bit better uh, and realize some of the, you know, I'll, when you're 
when you're onboarding just one computer, it's easy just to do a couple of things by hand. When you're onboarding several, uh, it starts to get a bit of a mess. Uh, so I've had to be forced into you know scripting first. Uh, and so I've probably doubled or tripled the size of my Ansible scripts just to be able to support all of this stuff automatically. My goal for the microcloud is that of the eight blades, five of them will basically be rip and run. Uh, you know, I can tear them down and completely start them up again uh, with whatever I want, um, you know, at any any stage, um, and so that's going to be a you know a big part of of how this grows. But yeah, you know that's a big part of it. Um, I, I'd love to be able to do more. Uh, I, obviously, running services, I'm running with through Docker. Um, you know, mostly just Docker Compose and specific hosts. Um, I want to get into Swarm and be able to move things around. But uh, found that um, you know unless you have a truly uh, host independent storage layer like a Ceph or something like that, um, you know you can't leverage things like uh, uh, on-machine NVMe drive uh, if you are also want to move around your Docker hosts uh, because then you know, you're no longer on the same piece of hardware necessarily. And there's pretty chunky configuration directories that come with most of these services. So that's a little bit tricky. Um, also DNS, uh, you know, DNS for uh, a local lab, an internal network, right? When you don't have an AD host uh, or something like that, you know, a formalized uh, you know, network topology that AD would provide you. Um, it gets, yeah, it gets a little tricky. So you have to kind of balance things out. So I have an unbound server running with my local DNS that's uh, that's hacked in, sort of configured, so that if I'm requesting a specific domain from inside the network, it's going to go to local versus going remote. Um, so there's some, yeah, really interesting hacks that kind of come into that, which hopefully we can dive into another time. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of that that goes down. Um, and, and sort of forms part of this whole process. That's really neat. And, um, you know, we're, we're coming up already uh, towards the end here. So last couple oh, of well. questions that I have for you, and I think we should actually do a part two of this because there's so much to unpack with your lab here. Um, obviously, to for someone to justify to run a lab of this size, you're probably, you know, you're in consulting. So you're, you've um, got 20 years of experience in engineering. Um, are you running, you know, really pre-production stuff, test stuff, or how much of it is actual production yeah. that you're running on there to, to justify all this? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it, it's funny. Uh, when I started off with just a couple of hosts for compute, um, you know, I found that uh, of all the services I'm running, there are definitely some that very quickly became production. Family and friends were upset mm. when it wasn't available. So, you know, that limits my ability to use that host as a, um, a as a true home lab. So, I think there really is uh, a growth in what we might call home prod, uh, which uh, I haven't seen talked about much or discussed, but it's mm. it's gonna. I think we're gonna hear about it, you know, over the next um, next several years. There is, I mean, just sort of as a side on that, you know, I think we're now we've now kind of gotten to this world where we have services for everything and anything. Uh, we have streaming, we have services, software as a service, we have you know, any number of different subscription-based services and tools across the web that we can use on a day-to-day -day basis from email to uh, writing documents to managing data to you know, whatever it is that we're doing. Um, there's been a fairly strong growth in the last two, three years of, of people uh, you know, on GitHub building out their own open source versions of, of you know, popular software. Uh, it's not gonna be as flashy, it's not gonna be as robust, it's not gonna be a service that everyone uh, can immediately get access to. But when we start seeing the deployment of things like, you know, synchronous gigabit, gigabit or better connections across the country, uh, so people can actually really host services reliably, we'll start seeing the rollout of IPv6 in a way that gives you reliable IPs that you can use. 
uh, and so on. And when you start going down that path, um, I think we're going to see a lot of people who are going to host a whole suite of tools and services on their own, you know, everything from pies, you know, to nooks to what I have um, support their own, you know, family and friends, whatever infrastructure they need to use because it's, it's, you know, we're getting this death of a thousand subscriptions uh, mm-hmm. and no one wants to keep just paying, you know, here and there everywhere. I think we'll start seeing that stuff condensed down with our own ho- hosted stuff uh, as it's becoming so much more user-friendly, uh, so much more engaging uh, and simple to get into. So I think we're going to see more of that. Um, and so, yeah, HomePod is growing uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll see that that happen. For me, like I said, I had uh, I had one or two servers initially uh, spread out my load and then HomePod across all of that. So I had to obviously had to get more. Um, and uh, now definitely getting a distinction there. One of the things that's on my mind for 23 is the is working through the the, con- the the concept of, you know, because it's home lab, the networking is also running my home network, uh, you know, lights, Wi-Fi, everything. At some point, I need to start, you know, understanding that that needs to separate, right? And do, do I end up having, uh, you know, a separate router, separate you know, switches, separate, you know, services and, a, and a, you know, different, already I have different VLANs and uh, software separation, but do I start going into hardware separation for that as well, right? Uh, and one of the reasons I wanted to chat with you is, is things like the F5 uh, accelerator, those things that can sit in front of all of this and provide that kind of gateway to the outside uh, are interesting because maybe they are the sort of solution or even through Nginx as well, right? Those are both the solution to helping bridge that gap and bringing people inside in a safe way. So I think that's something that I'm really interested in and in finding out like how to do that effectively so that I can start to expose some of these services uh, in, a, in a meaningful way publicly without having to put myself at risk. Yeah, especially, I mean, you mentioned the Unify stuff. So I would imagine you're u- using some of the Unify security, home security type stuff as well. Yeah. You know, I yeah. see a number of folks yeah. with, uh, they have amazing cameras and and uh, NVR systems and stuff like that. So yeah, it, yeah. Be- it becomes really important to keep that kind of stuff up because, you know, you never know when something like that's uh, going to be needed. The, the footage might be needed for something. And if anything's down along the way, um, you know, heaven forbid that that was a really important thing that needed to be rebooted at a certain time or something like that. Right. Um, yeah. So as we kind of close out here uh, for our time, James wanted to just get an idea from you, like what kind of project you, you, you're in engineering consulting, what kind of projects do you take on these days and what's been filling your time? Yeah. You mentioned, um, you know, how I was using it for, for work uh, and we kind of glossed past that. Um, but it's a good example. Um, I ended up working with a company who had a, a really huge database in the billions of rows. Um, and we need to sort of restructure it so it was a little bit more balanced, let's say. Um, and so it was nice to have this hardware where I can throw, I could t- take a clone of that, you know, 300 gig file, uh, you know, and throw that into in, into memory on one of my machines and then play with different scenarios of how to move data around. Uh, so that was really fun. What I end up doing a lot of my time is working with legacy systems, working with thorny problems uh, that need someone who's got experience to kind of help guide through and figure out how to unpick uh, and get people back to get back to normal, right? So sometimes tech debt gets a bit too far or uh, scale happens that you haven't quite considered and you've got to find that way through it. Uh, so I spend time helping companies do that, especially startups, but also big companies too, um, and um, you know solve those kinds of scary-looking problems that are actually quite fun once you get into it uh, and really uh, understand the problems that. That's awesome. So you've got a website, smokeclouds.com. People can find out yes. more about you on there. You're, uh, you're a hired gun. My branding, yeah, yeah. Hi, gun. Also looking for, for good, really great teams to join. But, um, but yeah, no, it's really fun to be able to go and help 
different teams solve their kind of intractable problems and uh, you know help them get to that next level, which is something I spend a lot of time doing. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Very cool. So we'll have all of that information uh, again on community.f5.com. Go register there. Uh, we'll have a Dev Central Connect group on there, and there will be a show thread that's already created. And we'll have all of James's info on there. We'll put it into the show description, uh, that kind of stuff as well. So thank you very much, James, for joining me today. Uh, we're definitely going to need to park um, a part two. Uh, down the road and get into a little bit more of the use cases that you have there and how people can uh, get more value, you know, potentially out of their their small little home labs that might just be a knuck or two. Yeah, absolutely. It's fun. Uh, it's great fun to sort of get into the stuff. And I'd love to know more if uh, people are getting into it themselves because, uh, you know, on, on, on the on the central. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a future for, you know, smart engineering. Yeah, totally. Alrighty. Uh, thanks a lot, James. I'll bring you down and uh, I'll be chatting with the folks for a little bit here. Sounds good. Alrighty. Uh, amazing to have James on. That is such a cool lab to have. Like I look at my Intel NUC and I'm, I'm like this, this little thing, I don't know if it's a, a drop in the bucket compared. It's not really a drop in the bucket compared to what James has. Uh, so really cool, really cool to hear what he's doing with that lab as well and how it's built out over time. And uh, cool to hear about his experience too. Like it's one of, he's one of those unicorns who has like experience from, traditional systems and then he has all this experience with the modern and microservices and cloud systems as well so definitely a person that can bridge the two help out with people's technical debt and whatnot so be sure to check him out on smokeclouds.com and his linkedin and his and twitter and, and all that kind of stuff um otherwise just a couple of things i wanted to remind folks it is microservices march so we're in my nginx shirt right now make sure you go check out nginx.com mm uh, check out Jason's live streams on Thursdays at 8 a.m. This is the last one, the last week of it, actually. So he'll be doing microservices March week four uh, this Thursday. And be sure to like and subscribe, whether you're watching from YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter right now. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google, make sure you're following us on there as well. Otherwise, we will uh, close her out for now. And oh, I'll also remind everybody, be sure to go uh, register on community.f5.com so you can get all the info in the show thread for how to get in contact with James. Otherwise, thank you very much for joining me today and we will see you all next week. Bye.